0: Here. Captain, captain. Oh. signatures detected. Shields up. <laughs> signatures detected. Context safety command. What's C- context safety command. Relay that order. Context, command. This is the captain. Context safety command. Get
1: out of my chair. Chair, chair,
2: chair. chair. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons.
1: Klingons. Welcome clean-ons. to the greatest discovery, a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm trying to say that with the, with the spaces in between the words as vague as possible.
0: Yeah. Squish it. <laughs> squish it good.
1: Squish it real good.
0: We want to squish all the words together early because we've got something special coming after our little open. We want to, yeah. we want to give it all the time it deserves. Maybe
1: we should have released this right after Star Trek Las Vegas, but we're releasing it now. Uh, I am really excited about this. This was a really fun thing to do major credit on this episode goes to our producer rob schulte who made it happen that's right a rare guest on the show our guest today is anson mount
0: i (laughs) i just kind of got the chills hearing you say that that's great
1: (laughs) it was really amazing to to do this we were just in the in the hall at stlv and uh, there were a lot of actors from the show sitting around doing signatures for people and you know fan meet and greet time and rob walked up to captain pike and uh made an interview happen and he he took us into the back bowels of the convention center with him and then outside to where like the staff goes for smoke breaks
0: right and i think you'll hear that in the show uh i sat my chair right next to a door that the staff was using (laughs) i got bonked several times
1: yeah, it was... Uh, we we left that stuff in just because we thought it was kind of like... A, like Atmospherically, this is like one of the wildest things we've done. Right. Uh, and, and it was like also where a lot of the talent was showing up. Like uh, Nichelle Nichols and Kate Mulgrew showed up during recording and like walked right past us, so... They
0: ran their cars into my chair as well. <laughs> <laughs> Why did they do that?
1: You're not going to hear uh them on the episode but they're they're there they're credited as extras right it's a wild thing that we got to do this um he was really generous with his time and uh talked to us a lot about process and what it was like to play the character and uh i think we even maybe have some news in this in this interview
0: yeah let's get to it and then we'll uh, be back after the interview to talk about how we feel about how it went So without further ado, here is our Star Trek Las Vegas interview with the great Anton Mount. Uh, First of all, I really like The Well a lot. I think it's a great podcast. Oh, thanks. And it is almost irritating how good it is. (laughs) A lot of people ask people who are new to Star Trek... Like, how great is it to be a part of the culture? How great is it to be, you know, a part of this beautiful, loving thing? But were you at all reluctant to put something on your resume that can hug people to death professionally?
2: <laughs> I've never quite heard it put that way. That's, that's good. No, because I, I, I mean, I grew up a Trekkie, so it was just one of those things that comes at you out of left field that you never thought would happen. Uh, it just never even I never I never even entertained the idea just because it's just one of those things that it seems it's at a distance and so when it when it runs up to you um, it's it, it's the it's the longest any job as it remained surreal to me you know yeah. and I did a movie with Robert De Niro yeah. like this is this is um, not just in a TV show it's a whole culture it's a whole family it's um, it it's something that I was overjoyed to become a part of There was no trepidation at all um, And even, you know, if I had gotten the opportunity 10, 15 years ago The nerves would have gotten to me But thankfully I've gotten to the, the point as a professional, as a human being That I kind of know that, that all of that stuff just exists in your head And you really just got to buckle down and do the job at a certain point So it's been great
0: when you had heard that Discovery was spooling up, professionally, like, do you get with your agent, and you're like, I would really love that job. Please do what you can to connect us, or do offers like that come to you?
2: Actually, that that's how it first smacked me in the face, is um, I had actually had a meeting with the development executive at CBS All Access as they were gearing up as a network, and she had told me that they were going to do Star Trek, and I just... I I threw myself at her, basically, and then forgot about it. And it was like a year later that uh, they called me to talk about Lorca. And uh, we were discussing that for a while, and then they wisely went with Jason Isaacs. And I'm very glad that they went with Jason, not only because he was great and did a much better job than I could have with that role, but it allowed them to come back to me the next year to talk about Uh, Pike, which at the time I didn't know it was Pike. It was all undercover. Uh, They just said it was the new captain.
0: So are you reading the script blind then? Like there's no character?
2: I got a very early draft of episode one, the pilot, um, when it was was a very different uh, pilot than what we saw. Uh, Went through a lot of changes, a lot of drafts, a lot of ideas. And then it became so... Undercover because of the, f- the fan base that uh, I didn't even get to see episode 201 I just got um, they send they send sides and sometimes they're d- what they call dummy sides which are just scenes that are written To the tone of the character that aren't actually going to be in wow. the script in my case They were they were actually the first few scenes of Pike in episode 101, but he was not called Pikey. They changed the name to Captain Parker so I, you know, I was like, "Well, that's a fairly it's a fairly unimaginative name for a captain," uh, and then they called and asked me if I would I would do it, and um, I said, "Of course," and then they told me it was it was Pike.
0: How common or uncommon is it to get a challenge like that? And do you get the feeling that they're just looking at you physically to see if they can see it happen?
2: You know, I don't always know. I mean, I've gotten calls about everything from, you know, Starship Captain to a Nebraska farmer to uh, an East, East Texas methamphetamine dealer to um, a <laughs> behavioral psychologist. Like I don't sometimes I don't know how Excuse me. I'm No worries, no worries. There's something that a door is a door. <laughs> I mean, no worry. Yeah. Uh, okay. No, no, we'll leave this part in because it's great. It's good. <laughs> so no, I, sometimes um, they'll see something that I did, and they either like the work or they think that I can strike that tone. I I prefer being surprised uh, by things people want me to do. Um, I actually I, I like to say I like. I like to be surprised by oh shit roles. Yeah. They're roles that that make me say oh shit, how am I going to do this? I'm really curious with that role
1: like once you know who the character is like I imagine as an actor you're conscious of, you know, Jeff what Jeffrey Hunter did with it and what uh, Bruce Greenwood did with it and I mean, you've I think now had by far the most screen time as Pike, but do you do you draw on pre-existing work that other actors have done? I mean, I, I, I know that, like, television acting in the 60s is super different from what we're seeing now. So how does that process work?
2: Yeah, the, I can answer that question in a lot of different ways. Um, in some ways, I think we as actors, when we do our research, we, we always think or we kid ourselves into thinking that there's a key out there somewhere that will unlock the character. And there rarely is, more often than not, I think that we're doing our research... As a way to calm our nerves, but it does sometimes supply material. You know, Jason told that great story yesterday about <laughs> how he he uh, stole. He was playing a uh, a stock broker or something, and he he went and did his research and on these people, and he found that one guy had this tick where he would bounce his knee every time he was all the time he was talking, and he decided to do that for his character and. When he was in close-up, the camera operator said, mate, you might want to calm that down. And he's like, no, 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 it's my thing, it's my character thing. And he's like, it looks like you're wanking off below frame. <laughs> and, and that's just a perfect example, you know. Um, and then there are other ways that you do that. Uh, m- when I was auditioning more for all my roles, I, I, if there was a role that I really want, was really in competition for, really wanted... I had a tradition the night before watching a movie that I hadn't seen before, in which I knew there would be great acting. Like Denzel is like my go to because, like, he's just, he's Denzel or Jack Nicholson. Um, and there's something about that that just put me into the mindset of being more present as an actor. Uh, and being willing to go and not do what I was rehearsing the night before in my bedroom, but just go and be there with the material. It sounds
1: like that only works if you really trust the material. So, Yeah,
2: good material you can trust. I think that the biggest thing I got out of college was not really learning how to act. I, don't, I think that took me a much longer period of time. Uh, I think the thing that college gave me was the ability to recognize what good material is and what good material is not and The grad program. I went to was all classics from Greek uh, through to the absurdists and um, I that forced me to see the difference between great connected in-depth original material and stuff that's just schlock
0: uh, one of the things that I've really appreciated in re-watching Discovery with you in it is your choices physically. When so much of your work is dialogue-based versus making physical choices, do those occur to you in the moment uh, on repeated takes, or are you going into a scene thinking, that's something that I want to do physically, I want to see if it works? How much freedom do you get to sort of explore the space physically as an actor?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. It depends on the role and it depends on the environment. Um, I, for whatever reason, you know, Grotowski, Yuzek Grotowski, great, great acting teacher, theater researcher, his theory was that there are two types of actors. There's an inside-out actor and there's an outside-in actor. And the predominant acting schools in the West, especially in America, treat actors like they are one type of actor, outside-in. And that's just not the case I was fortunate enough to be exposed to physical theater forms like mask and clown and Greek theater you know like um, where you're trying to reach something that is beyond yourself um, and I there's something about that a gravitated source so I, I do have to find my characters boots sometimes you don't have time And and this was in one case I I didn't have time and I was also being thrown into a situation where everybody else had found their boots so I was really trying to take as much it was for me to really listen to the rest of the cast and Discovery and to to learn what they'd learned Um, In hell on wheels That's a very different environment because we were all days exterior and we were in a town that was built to be a town so that the environment was very rich and I could, um, the routinely when I had a scene in Hell on Wheels, the first thing that I would do is I would I would walk straight there before the cameras moved over, and with myself and then my scene partners and usually the DP and the director, you know I would just look at the architecture of the space. How can this space be used in ways it hasn't been used before? How what's going to add to this? the story of this scene. Um, so yeah, great question. I've never, nobody's ever actually thought to ask me that.
0: It's a great compliment. Thank you. Do you find that you're collaborating on set with a director or does a director most often have a very specific vision for the blocking of a scene?
2: Again, yeah, that depends. And it's very connected to your last question. Uh, in a show like Discovery, which is so technical for completely different reasons than it was technical on Hell on Wheels or anything else that I've done in, in Star Trek you know it's not until you do Star Trek that you realize it's really just a series of scenes set in little rooms and hallways <laughs> and it's an action adventure show basically so you have to enliven the camera in ways that you don't have to do in other genres and having to do that in such tight quarters I really gave much more latitude for my directors to come in and know exactly how they wanted the scene blocked and just go, okay, I give it to me. Give me your structures. Give me what you're seeing in your head and I'll find it. There's still a lot of latitude in that. And there if there's one thing that I learned beyond material in school. A great teacher of mine told me that it's like if you look at the eaves of buildings in, in, in traditional Chinese architecture, you know how they sort of curl up and go smaller? They're built to look like they're going into infinity. And yet there's still an enormous room for the architects to give new style to each temple. You know, there's a lot of room. It's like you take a sugar cube. You put the sugar cube in coffee. It's going to dissolve at one rate. You chop that sugar cube up into many different little pieces. It's going to dissolve much more quickly. And so I I think that structure brings freedom if you look at it in the right way. And don't allow yourself to be... Don't project your fear of failure onto a director who is under an enormous amount of pressure of his own.
0: That makes a ton of sense. We talk a lot on our show about the schedule pressure. Other Star Trek series had 26 episode seasons that had to shoot in basically a week and they were sprinting through their productions. Do you feel schedule pressure uh, working or did you feel schedule pressure working on Discovery in that same way or did you get enough time you feel like? to do things like explore the
2: space physically and do as many takes as you'd like well i didn't feel that kind of pressure at all i'm sure the producers felt that kind of pressure (laughs) uh but you know the the production standards in television have gone so through the roof that to do a show like discovery that's also going to be a flagship of a network they're going to spend a lot of money on it and make sure that you get what you want so Really, it's unheard of to hear of episodes being added to an order. That yeah. just doesn't happen. Uh, not to mention adding days for reshoots and, and a second unit. You never get a second unit yeah. on a TV show. So we were really spoiled in that sense. Um, and for that show, that works. And Hell on Wheels, I don't think that would have worked. I think we needed that pressure. We needed that uh, con- that constraint. We n- And I like being... A part of a team that has to figure out problems, that has to figure out how to get, you know, it's it's why I love TV. It's the only medium where, you know, you get something greenlit and you've got the a showrunner who's studied writing all of his life, and suddenly he's handed sixty million dollars, and said, <laughs> okay, go. And you don't even know you only have is the first script, and so you you start to realize that it's a tightrope walk. You have to deliver ten to fifteen. Episodes that are exactly 42 minutes and 32 seconds and it has to have a beginning and a middle and an end and you have to get there by such and such date. Uh, You don't get that in any other medium and that's that's really what I fell in love with when when I did Hell on Wheels.
1: At Comic-Con and now here at uh, Star Trek Las Vegas, uh, there has been some flirtation with the idea of a Pike-driven show and I'm sure that even if you have knowledge about that that you wouldn't be able to share it with us but um do you think that uh the character has like a a, a bright future
2: <laughs> um i don't know i your guess is as good as mine um i'd i'd love to but you know these these this, this is where you know that really strange crossroads of art and commerce um it's uh, it's an interesting place. So, I don't know. You know, these decisions are made by people I've never met and may never meet. And they're very corporate decisions. So, uh, we'll see. Actors are always the last to find out anything. So, maybe you'll find out before I do. <laughs> uh, so, one last question. And this is a question we
1: ask whenever we get a chance to interview someone from the cast. Um, when we've finished reviewing an episode, we... Uh, we each pick a drunk Shimoda, and uh, this is based on a character from Episode 2 of Star Trek The Next Generation who just delighted us because he was drunk and having a ton of fun and, uh, you know, just just lit up the screen. So who is your drunk Shimoda from Season 2 of Star
2: Trek Discovery? <laughs> oh, man, that's a good one. Well, Jonathan Frakes. I, you know, I, I mean... <laughs> He, he ha, you know, he is kind of a, a drunk Irishman to begin with, um, and he just brings the energy level up uh, on the set. You know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't go to lunch because he goes, because <laughs> he has to go meditate, <laughs> which wow. I think is perfect. <laughs> and uh, he just has so much energy, so much good cheer, so many great ideas, and he's an, he's an actor. So he gets it, and he's been—he's a Star Trek actor, so he understands, you know, the the weird machine that you're operating inside, both fictionally and in terms of the the architecture of making a show like that. So, um, yeah, he—he's—he's—he's uh, he's a, he's a fun, fun guy. He's supposed to be here yeah. at some point, and I hope to bump into him. You know who I still haven't bumped into? <laughs> at All these conventions. Is Colomini? we keep missing missing each other by like a day oh man yeah he'd
0: be a great hang
2: of it yo man he's that was one of the best parts of doing Hell on Wheels is meeting up after work at uh, at James Joyce in Calgary and just shooting the awesome. shit and asking him stories about his early days of theater he's a good dude you are not just an actor
1: but also a an amazingly like, like we are jealous of your talent as a podcaster <laughs> so uh, can you tell the folks listening how to find that and what it's about
2: yeah, well, first of all, thank you. I'm not sure it's so much of a talent as I I discovered this really weird anal retentive interest I have in sound editing. Uh, <laughs> and we work really hard on every episode. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's called The Well. It's about uh, stories and interviews about creativity, coming at it from every angle that we possibly can, so we don't just have actors and celebrities and stuff like that. We have... You know, our first interview was with... Uh, a marina archaeologist, um, we have a biologist, uh, um, I, I, I think I may be interviewing Paul Stamets soon, the real Paul Stamets, about mycology. Um, I have an interview we did recently this last season, uh, Alice Cooper, talking about the art of golf. So basically, we just don't want to ask people the same questions they always get asked. We want to ask about that thing that they do for their own creative source. That's why we're called The Well and um you can find it on every major platform it's uh oh and we have interviews with with doug jones about acting under lake techs nice. and underwater and with ethan peck about a near-death experience that he had but it's on every major platform um itunes stitcher spotify tune in and um yeah it would start at the beginning because you also get to hear us figure out how to podcast <laughs> which is part of the process well, Anson Mount, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, man.
1: Thank you Thanks so for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks
0: yeah. again. Boy, what a fun dude. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I think as you were saying before the interview, this doesn't happen without Rob. And I think things like this don't happen without a producer because having someone like Rob go around and meet everyone and wrangle and make it happen is stuff that you can't do as the host of your own show. And so it was really great to, to have him go around and meet people at Star Trek Las Vegas. And Anton Mount was so game from jump to do this that, uh, really give him a lot of credit for hanging out with us. Uh, still relative unknowns. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
1: it was it was really cool to get to do and he um, I don't know I, do you want to talk about like some of your favorite moments of the interview
0: uh, it was just a little surreal to sit down with someone that you've seen on your television for over a year and and to like have yeah. a conversation that felt normal and good like there was never I never felt nervous about talking with him I think that comes across in the interview it was just very loose and conversational
1: I think your lack of nerves could be due to the fact that you'd consumed an entire hoof before <laughs> we conducted the interview. I
0: did have some hoof confidence, it's true.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've definitely seen Anson Mount and other things, but the, this is kind of the character that I know him for, and so right. meeting the real man is, is really interesting to kind of see where the Venn diagram is of his real personality yeah. and the persona he's inhabited.
0: You get a ton of that in his podcast. We talked about it a little bit during the interview, but his podcast, The Well, is a really great show about the creative process. And if you're a creative person, I know I personally have gotten a lot out of it. I wasn't going to go on and on with him about how much I enjoy his show. I think we give him a little shit about how much we like it yeah. uh, during the interview. But uh, The Well is a show he does with Brandon Edgens. And if you like the thing that Ben and I do, where like we bring production experience to conversations we have about other things like Brandon Edgens is an editor and a cinematographer and Anson Mount is obviously an actor and so they have a lot of great conversations and interviews with people that you know on this show and probably a good place to start with that would be like the Doug Jones episodes or the Ethan Peck episodes which are really really great but I would recommend listening to all of them they're they're really well done
1: he was just such a cool dude I think that my favorite uh my favorite part might have been his drunk Shimoda. Yeah, uh, yeah. just learning learning what uh, what frakes on set is like these days is was really delightful.
0: Yeah, I think my favorite part was just it's so fun to to be able to ask a question about someone's process and to get a really honest, thoughtful answer. And there was never a point in the interview where we where he wasn't completely thoughtful. Like none of these felt like stock answers or anything. And so, yeah. like, to get a greater understanding for his approach on set and how he inhabited this character, I thought was, was great and honest, and uh, I really enjoyed talking to him.
1: Uh, before we go, we should uh, probably check with our P1 inbox. What do you say, Adam? Yeah, gotta do that.
0: Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. We have a lucky couple of people with Priority One messages in the special Ants and Mount episode, Ben. That is true. Uh, the first one here is from Ben
1: and it's to Adam and Ben. Hmm. Uh, it says that it says the following. My wife said I was spending too much on podcast. And should decrease my monthly contribution, but you'll never listen to this show. So my money is safely hidden here. <laughs> you all are doing the Lord's work by bringing Trek to the people. Keep it up, and come back to Lawrence, Kansas, sometime. Oh man,
0: we love Lawrence, Kansas.
1: Yeah, that was a that was one of our favorite live shows last year, for sure.
0: Well, I am happy to be the offshore bank account for for other Ben. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, we will keep your money safe and invested in in Vegas hoofs full of, of hurricane beverage.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's what we used P one money for. That's an investment that
0: always increases in value. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ben, our second priority one message is from Kristar Shrimp Colgar. It is for oh, Snap Patrick, son of Jackson, Mock, son of Kevin, Mike, son of William, Art, and his wife son of David and the message goes like this and there is a request to do an impression okay and I will I will let you guess who it is due to some actions of my family our house is left without honor I see only one way to restore that honor I have properly sharpened that bat leth for the ceremony and you must jam it right into my hand as groomsman for my wedding. Whoa. <laughs> the Casey of the Honorable House Preglar. Only you four can be trusted as my <laughs> dustbuster club.
1: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> is this the
0: uh, first ever request of groomsmen in a P1? I think it is. I also, I would caution anyone requesting... Requesting a request of an impression. Uh, Kern doesn't remember who he is or who anyone else is. So if you're <laughs> requesting an invitation like this, yeah. uh, you better make damn sure that Kern knows who he's talking to. Right.
1: Yeah. Give Give him a lot of it, uh, A lot of context <laughs> for the for the request. <laughs> uh, well, thank you uh, to everyone who uh, sent a P one. If you would like to send a P one. Uh, you can head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's a hundred bucks for a personal message and two hundred for a commercial message, and they are a great way to support the ongoing production of the greatest discovery.
0: You never know if your P1 is going to make it into a very special episode. It's true. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the Spring Cleaning Champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth, wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants.
1: I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com trek50 and use code TREK50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on?
0: Just one more week till Max Fun Drive.
1: <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one.
2: stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks.
1: Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating.
2: Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app.
1: And at MaximumFun.org. Our thanks to Anson Mountain. If you're listening uh, out there and are curious to to hear the well, it's uh, on all of the podcast platforms yeah it's also at thewellpod.com so check that out and uh thank you for listening to this you know shorter than normal but i think uh cooler than normal also episode of the greatest discovery
0: yeah thanks very much to anton Matt. we really appreciate him taking the time and uh we'll leave it with robs from here
2: the greatest discovery is a maximum fun podcast hosted by ben harrison and adam pranica and it's produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia. Thanks again to Anson Mount for being on the show. And thanks again to the Friends of DeSoto for helping make it happen. If you'd like to help the production of the podcast, head on over to MaximumFun.org donate. And when you're choosing your shows, make sure to check the box for Greatest Discovery. And while you're at it, check the box for The Greatest Generation and Friendly Fire, too. It helps us all out and we'll see you in a couple of weeks with a new episode of the greatest discovery
0: maximumfun.org comedy and culture artist owned audience supporting